And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodrigue, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond-Rich. How we doing? Jordan, are you so excited to get to the Malibu Beach House? I, I have been just fixated on this all day, Monday, as, as we record. The Rams, um, in, in the latest uh, a series of The Real World, uh, the Rams are, are taking over a uh, Malibu Beach House for the draft. Are you going to get in this Malibu Beach House? That's what I want to know, Jordan. Yes. You know what? I never, ever had a Malibu Barbie, right? I mean, I'm, you know, never had one of those, but this right. seems better to me. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna try that out. And uh, we're going to get to see and look around. And so I'm going to do my best to to bring that to our our listeners and and our subscribers over the athletic um very very excited first and foremost though about this episode of 11 personnel this is our draft episode yes. and because rich and i are hopeless idiots when it comes to the depth of evaluation and rich maybe I'll exclude you because i i don't mean to call you an idiot here but no i'm hopeless on everything so this, this definitely falls in yeah the depth of evaluation here, we had to bring in an expert. Um, I am so, so pleased to welcome Jordan Reed, who does a variety of, of amazing things, and, and you can find his work all over the place. You can find him at the Draft Network, where he's one of their lead analysts, and you can also find him on the Read Option podcast, which I was very, very pleased to be a guest on last week, and Jordan does a great job with those things. One of the most talented evaluators I have ever talked to, and I am a huge personal fan. Jordan, how are you today? Jordan Rich, thank you guys for being here. And, you know, it's a pleasure being on here. Well, we're really excited, Jordan, because we think that maybe we hit the timing perfectly. You released your last big board before the draft. And I'm curious, just from an evaluator standpoint, what it was like for you to put that together and what some of the patterns and maybe nuances and, and different cycles that you saw as you were sort of assembling that. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know, just a year's work, putting everything together and seeing mm -hmm. it all come together. So just to give you guys a little bit of a behind the scenes things of what we do at the Draft Network. So we try to simulate everything like an actual NFL scouting department. We have a couple of people that actually were in NFL departments for about five to six years. So we're kind of trying to imitate the process a little bit with what they do with number systems, with players on scouting profiles. We actually split up into certain regions this year. We split up by conference. So I had the SEC, mm -hmm. the Big 12, and some FCS schools, and also some D2 and D3 schools as well, just because that's my level of expertise. And I'm a former quarterback at the FCS level, so I know a little mm -hmm. bit more um, than some of my colleagues do as far as that level of football. But when you're talking about a big board, every position has uh, what's called a numerical system, and each characteristic leads up to a cumulative grade of 100. 
So mm-hmm. it helps you when you're starting to stack a big board just because you're going to have different qualities that you look for in an offensive tackle as opposed to a wide receiver. There's going to be certain things that you look for that you look for in a wide receiver, you know, how good their hands are, how good their routes are, et cetera, et cetera. And then with the offensive tackle, maybe you're looking at their pass sets, how clean their feet are, how aware they are with picking up blitzes and so on and so forth. So the, the number system really keeps you on track just because at the end of the day, when you're trying to stack a big board, I see I have um, a 91 on Panay Sewell, and then I also have a 91 on Jamar Chase. So there's certain things that you use in a tiebreaker as well. So it's really fun using all these grades at the end of the year and then stacking a big board, which is what I did. Uh, as far as some tendencies that I that I saw, of course, the quarterback class, everybody mm-hmm. knows how loaded that is at the top with the top five guys and Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, and then Mac Jones. And then it's offensive tackle class it is really good as well. I think it's very reminiscent of what we saw last year, especially in the in the teens of last year's draft. I think we could see as many as six to seven guys go in the first round this year, which is just crazy to think about. Interior defensive line is one area that's not really good in this draft. I think the same can be said for safety as well. So those are just some tendencies that I noticed in my top 100 once I came to a final conclusion. Yeah, and it feels like to me it would be like, putting a 32 person puzzle together essentially right because you're you have these point systems and then you're also now parsing what teams need so like you mentioned Jamar Chase and Penny Sewell being both at 91s on your board well for one team that is maybe has receiver higher on its needs hierarchy or its value hierarchy on their board they might have you know a player higher than than maybe a tackle on on their board versus another team who might need so the process to me I'm fascinated by your matching process and then like you're always gathering data and gathering information on what these teams need and who these teams need and then sort of assigning um, as you go, which to me, if you, you know, if you could expand on that as well, that is so fascinating to me. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's the hardest part from a media evaluation standpoint, just because we're not really building our board around specific teams. Mm -hmm. So um, for the Rams example, for an example, their offensive line, they're going to have guys on their board that are predominantly zone scheme, athletic type of offensive linemen, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the Baltimore Rams that probably won't have that same order or even same guys on the draft board just because they're more of a man gap power mm-hmm. type scheme of where they just want to get a body on the body and just absolutely maul people just because that's what their offense is predicated upon. So when you're talking about team fits and matches in that sense, I think that's the hard part from a media standpoint, just because we don't have a certain scheme or specific characteristics that we're actually stacking our board for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I remember last year and, you know, the Rams not having a first round pick. So people got into the second and third round and they're going, <laughs> you know, why did they take this guy when when this guy is ranked in the top 40? And it's like, well, it's not it's not a, a full NFL ranking like you, you just said, Jordan. I mean, it could be uh, one team could value that that skill set uh, uh, more than more than another. But my goodness, what an amazing resource. I uh, just want to make sure everybody gets the the locations out there, thedraftnetwork.com, and uh, you can get Jordan in a variety of social media, but uh, at Jordan underscore Reed, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I. 
D. And uh, Jordan, you, the, 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 the other thing about the site is those mock drafts. You can do your own mock draft. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many hours I spent on that thing last year <laughs> when I was trying to do the, our, our mock drafts for the athletics. What an amazing resource that is to be able to do that. And I've seen people tweet or whatever, like, I've done 75 simulations. Or I'm like, oh my gosh, how long does that take? But, but Jordan, what I wanted to ask you is, how is this year maybe been its own specific challenge? I mean, I go back to a year ago, right? The the draft obviously was virtual because of the pandemic, but everybody, all the teams and, and you know, draft experts like yourself had essentially done all of your research. Uh, you'd watched all the games and, and, you know, the combine had been done. This year, this last 12 months, very, very different uh, in terms of I'm sure how you were able to evaluate those sort of things. We didn't have a combine. There's even games going on in April with mm-hmm. with some of these prospects. So how has it changed? Has this been like the the unique or, or in any way challenging draft year for you guys? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, me and Jordan were actually talking about this over on my podcast a week ago of that. It seems like we were listening to Van Jefferson, Cam Akers, and Terrell Lewis talk at their podium sessions a year ago. <laughs> um, time time just goes by really fast. But I think the difference between this year and last year is that around the combine, you really had pretty much all the information that you need. It was just some data points that, that were big question marks as far as testing and things of that nature. So your evaluation was pretty much in the book for the most part. We just had the combine left and then COVID really hit strongly in like April. Of course, we had the virtual draft and everything was virtual from that point as far as workouts, practice sessions and things like that. But now it was completely different this year just because area scouts weren't allowed to go into the school to get that information that they get from position coaches, head coaches, and even if they want to see them practice in person as well, which is something that most area scouts do when they make those school visits. However, however many rounds that they are making when they're seeing these prospects, you weren't able to get the same type of intel. So you really have to rely on Mm -hmm. this networking pool that you do have. And let's say that you have a good relationship with coaches from Florida or Florida state, you're probably going to want to draft guys from those same areas as well, just because you've had success with guys from those places and you already have really good intel. They're people you trust as well, as opposed to a school that you have never taken a, a prospect from just because you don't have the intel. You maybe not trust those same individuals just because really the first time these teams really interacted with these players was at the senior bowl, maybe some postseason all-star games uh, and things of that nature. So they really weren't able, and even the pro days, that really was the first time they were seeing these guys move around in person. But from the Rams standpoint, they're not going to see these guys in person at all mm-hmm. since they weren't at the senior bowl. They weren't at the pro day. So they're just really basing everything off of practice evaluations and the tape as well. But for us, it was really difficult just because we're not area scouts. We don't go through the schools or anything like that. All of us have sources and coaches that we talk to and things of that nature. So without the combine, without these pro days, and then we didn't go down to the senior bowl this year at all. So there was a lot of information that we were missing and we were playing catch up in a sense. And we really are in a comfortable position now of where we have all that information, but it's just kind of that feeling of where you're behind on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting because we know that by scheme and by um, sort of positional hierarchy within every building, the board itself is going to look different at at the positions. But I'm wondering how much you think that the ripple effect of some of the unknowns from not only last offseason, but this offseason, what some of the ripple effects will be in terms of the evaluations itself. Like, I, I think we talked at one point, Jordan, about like, 
you know, you don't want certain players to fall through the cracks because there weren't the all-star events. But then for the evaluations themselves, how so many teams could have such a wider, maybe a wider than ever spectrum of opinion on who a prospect really is just because things have been so different these last two off seasons. Yeah. And you raise a really good point. And, you know, like I told you about a week ago, I think you're going to see a lot of GMs pick from places that they've had a lot of success Mm -hmm. at before. So, you know, with Les Need, he's had success with a lot of different positions and a lot of different places. So let's say Florida State, for example, he's had success with Cam Akers. So he may select a player like a Janarius Robinson, who's a talented edge rusher coming mm-hmm. out of Florida State, just because he he has already had a player that's had success from there. That was, it seems like an early hit early on in Cam Akers. And now that same intel, that same coaching staff is there uh, that had the turnover there um, when they coached Cam Akers. So I think you're going to see a, a lot of GMs trying to just get on base is what I like to call it right. and really trust their sources. They're not really going to go for the home run swing, maybe in the later rounds with some of what I like to call the analytical darlings, as far as guys that really stood out as far as athletes, but maybe lack the production or have some red flags here and there. But those first two days, I think you're going to see a lot of GMs just want to get on base for the most part. Yeah. I feel like you'll see patterns, right? Uh, so I was talking with someone in the, in the Rams front office and they basically were like, you already have all of the answers. You just don't know that you have them yet. And to me, that that sort of indicates patterns, right? That really indicates that you're going to start to see certain patterns develop, just like what you said, Jordan. By the way, for podcast listeners, you might have caught on to the fact that Jordan Reed and I have the same first name. <laughs> um, so when we di- when we differentiate uh, between the Jordans here, uh, we cannot we also cannot say Jordan R. Like if Rich is addressing one of us, so Rich, if you need to differ, if you need to differentiate between the two of us, you, you can just say Jordan with a U. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm there stuck in the middle of the Spider Man beam, like the, the two of you pointing at each other. But uh, it's great. I'm just going to get out of your way. Is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Rich, are you feeling a little left out? You don't have a, a cool first name like, I, like us. Yeah, I need. Is there another variation of Jordan I could use? Could I? Could I go with with you? a Y? Oh, okay. You could do there it you go. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to look into that. But yeah, fantastic. And and I I should note maybe just uh, along the same lines of what Jordan Reed was just saying <laughs> in Jordan Rodriguez's latest uh, mock draft, which we just posted on the Athletic app and website today. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Jordan Rodrigue, that that you mocked uh, Drew Dahlman, uh, Stanford center, to the to the Rams, and and maybe uh, Jordan Reed. That that goes along with what you were saying. I mean, the Rams just uh, just hired uh, the Stanford's former uh, offensive line coach Kevin Carberry. I mean, something like that, or or maybe even a. a, a center and interior lineman from the Pac-12, just because Carberry, I'm sure, has studied uh, the rest of the lines. Uh, things like that, I, I'm sure, might might come into play as well. Yeah, I definitely think so. And once again, it goes back to that intel that they do have. He's seen pretty much every prospect in that conference just because he's coming from it. But Dahlman definitely would be a really good fit from a schematic standpoint. And then, of course, you're not going to have a better person as far as getting intel on a player, especially Mm -hmm. since he's been there for predominant years of his career. He's helped develop him as well. He understands what type of player he is, how he learns, especially with a player coming in as a rookie who's probably going to be expected to play right away with Austin Blythe now moving on to Kansas City. So mm-hmm. the Rams have a huge hole at center, but what better way to fill that with a person or a player that you already have a lot of intel on as well? Mm-hmm. That makes total sense. And I think in that way, 
we'll start to see these patterns. And we'll, in hindsight, we'll be like, oh, we, we knew that. We just didn't know we knew it. <laughs> but I want to, speaking of hindsight, I actually want to start before we get into uh, and get granular into this year's draft, which I know everyone's really excited about. I think that we need to, we need to maybe show some love to the 2020 draft class, because I know that you scouted these players as well and watched them develop within the Rams system. And um, there are a couple, obviously, who played more significant roles. So I'm going to start with with the top two, um, Cam Akers and, and Van Jefferson. And I, I'd like to hear your perspective on them as prospects, maybe before they got drafted and played their first year. And then kind of if you can sense where they have yet to go and maybe what if you if you were maybe right uh, about some of the the potential that they have or some of the the projection the data points that you saw them succeeding in. Yeah, and I'll just start with Cam Akers, mm-hmm. a player that I thought was really really talented. Was only a twenty year old coming into the pre draft process, and that's really important, especially when you're talking about at the running back spot of where um, guys that very rarely see a second contract, a player or a position that's kind of seen. Um, as far as a detriment and, you know, you can replace those guys very easily. But I think whenever you have a good back, you see that NFL teams are not hesitant at all to pay them. And you saw that last offseason with guys like Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook. So whenever you have a good running back, teams seem to take care of them, no matter what the media perception is of them or whatever the data points may say about, you know, drafting a running back earlier or, or mm-hmm. paying a running back in general. But I was a big fan of Cam Akers coming out of Florida State. And I think his talents were really hidden at Florida State just because the offensive line wasn't ever really good there. And even in my scout report, I said he's the master of making chicken salad out of chicken. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> With that, just because that Florida State offensive line was just horrid at times, but he was the one bright spot on that offense. And he just continued to produce year in and year out, one of the best rushers to ever come out of Florida State. And you just saw how hard he ran. And I think his, his talents were hidden as far as a receiver as well. And that's something mm-hmm. that you that is really required for running backs, especially if you're talking about a full three down threat that can be that one a type of rusher. So you, you factor in the age with him being a 20 year old rookie, being the ultimate creator, despite his surroundings. And then everybody in the stadium knew that the ball was going to go to him in crucial moments. And then mm-hmm. he was going to be the number one option of that offense. And despite the offensive line being very bad, he still continued to produce. So I think he was one of those players that still had his best ball ahead of him, considering his youth as well. It's just a matter of landing spot with him. And I think he landed in a terrific spot. We know how Sean McVay is good, very good with incorporating a committee of running backs. But when he has that one guy, he's not scared to really ride that guy. And I think Cam Akers can be that 1A type of rusher moving forward. He showed a lot of bright spots last year. So I was a big fan of Cam coming out. I'll transition to Devan Jefferson now, another player that was a bit of an older rookie. I believe he was 24 years old coming to the process just because he started off early on at Ole Miss, but he showed a lot of promise there, was one of the better options. But things didn't end up working out for him down the backstretch of his career. He ended up transferring to Florida. And just an outstanding route runner. So clean, so fluid. Even though he had a bit of a slender build, I thought he played much stronger than what his frame did indicate. Outstanding with plucking the ball out of the air. Um, Was really good against LSU. That was one game that I thought was one of the better ones of his career as a whole, even going back to his days at Ole Miss. And then, you know, he was going to be a player that came in very mature, a father that was the wide receivers coach for the Jets at the time. So you knew he was getting a different type of coaching during his upbringing as well. So you knew he was going to come into a locker room. You knew he was going to be all business. And then he was going to be very 
mature physically. And then also from a development standpoint, he knew what it what it was going to take to be a pro. So I thought those were two home run swings for, for the Rams. Yeah, you know, I'd really like to see a couple of things. I'd like to see Van Jefferson get more looks um, this this season and and we'll get to them still needing to pick up a receiver maybe a speed gadget guy um we'll get to that in a minute but i'd like to see i'd like to see more of uh more touches for van jefferson i'd like to see him go up and get the ball you know i i know he has that ability and that's something Les Snead talked about um developing as as one of the facets in their offense and and i think they have a, another guy who we'll get to in a minute who could be able to do that as well but i i'd like to see him do that like you said pluck the ball out of the air and we already know he's got the the route technique and and all of that um they sure don't mind drafting older receivers I mean Cooper Cup was was Mm -hmm. older when he came out too and then with Cam Akers I just think that there is no ceiling for him in terms of what he could accomplish while still on his rookie deal and I'd like to see them work him into the passing game more I'm you know as you know Jordan I am uh spoiled by watching some of these two back sets in the Mm -hmm. NFC South. And also um, when Norv Turner came into Carolina, going back and watching all of that LT Sproles film. And Mm -hmm. I am just, I know the league is in a different place now, but I am just really wanting to see Cam Akers. um, My dream is Cam Akers uh, on a wheel route. (laughs) I think I'd love to see, (laughs) I'd love to see more of that. But um, yeah, I, I, I loved your ass- assessment of them, and I, I think bo- I agree with you. I think both of those guys have a, have a lot of potential. The one thing I wanted to ask you about, Jordan, was Terrell Lewis, um, because you talk about a year ago, and my, my takeaway, even though you know the Rams drafted Cam Akers early, drafted Van Jefferson early, I remember when the Rams drafted Terrell Lewis, and I really dug into his film, and I went, how did this guy – fall to the third round. He's a monster. I mean, he's six foot five, 260 pounds. He's running sideline to sideline to make tackles. He looks like he can play in the NFL right now. And then, well, what happened? He only ended up playing in eight games because he had some of the knee issues that he also experienced um, at Alabama. So I, I guess looking back, since you, you, you know, we talked about that hindsight thing, uh, is that why he fell as far as he did? And and what should Rams fans think about that pick? I mean, is this a guy who is going to be able to ever play 15, 16, now 17 games? Or or is this something that, from your perspective, that, that might be a concern over, over the course of his career? Yeah, and I will say you must have started with the Arkansas game during the <laughs> final year there. He, he looked like an early round draft pick in that game. He was absolutely incredible. But consistency was something that he always struggled with. And then you have to factor in the the knee stuff with him as well, which is something that happened with him during his, his, his rookie season last year as well. But very talented as far as explosiveness off of the edge. I think he has a lot of bendiness associated with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see him gain a little bit more weight. He, he is a little bit what I like to call high cut. He, he's a bit slender in his top half and then, uh, he kind of walks on stilts a little bit, too. I think he's really slender in his lower half, too. So he, he needs to gain some weight in some areas. I think that could help him as far as staying healthy. But as far as speed out of the starting blocks as that stand-up 3-4 outside linebacker, I definitely think he can be a starter there eventually. 
But he's one of those players that does worry you a little bit as far as mm-hmm. spending a lot of time in the training room just because that's kind of been his pedigree coming out of Alabama. The same has been the case during his, his rookie year as well. So I think he's one of those players that can be a starter for you, but you have to have a, a significant backup plan behind him that can be trustworthy just because I think he, he's probably going to give you 12 to 13 games at most uh, a year just because of you know his frame and him trying to catch up in his development in a sense. And I think he, he's probably best as what's called a DPR right now, just designated pass rusher where mm-hmm. he can get after the quarterback right now while he's still trying to figure out things and use his hands against the run. That's something that that I would like to see him improve upon too. But I think he can eventually reach his ceiling as a starter, but you have to have a security blanket behind him just in case. Yeah, and I think that that's a great point, Jordan. It's something that like we've been talking about a little bit is they do need to add some depth on the edge, but – this is not necessarily, you know, the highest priority class maybe to to be able to do that, but you could still maybe find a guy who can come in and you kind of have a win-win situation because you're able to hold Terrell Lewis on a little bit of a pitch count, but you can also rotate in the young guy or the younger guy and he in turn sort of doesn't have to be in those highest pressure starting role situations. He can con- kind of continue to develop with situational reps, uh, reps while at the same time you're maybe holding Trell Lewis on a pitch count. And and that's exactly what Rich said. And what you're saying is like, this is something that clearly the Rams knew and other teams most certainly seem to be aware of it. And it seemed like the chatter was pretty well known around him prior to the draft. Yeah. And like I said, I think he's a player that's probably going to give you 12 to 13 games a year Mm -hmm. at best. But if you use him, like you said, on that pitch count and using him as a DPR designated pass rusher of where he can just pin his ears back and get after Mm -hmm. the quarterback, I think that's a role that he definitely can satisfy. The biggest issue is just you worry about him against the run with that build doesn't have a lot of sand in his pants of where he can sink his hips and protect the edge. He just doesn't have that in him right now. So Mm -hmm. factor in the injury situation. Um, using him as a pass rusher, I think that would be best for him early on, especially when you're talking about a player that's had significant knee injuries as well. You want to lighten their load a little bit and kind of ease them into that situation as far as heavy workload and heavy reps too. Mm -hmm. It seems to me another reason why they, I mean, there was a little bit of eyebrow raising when they paid Leonard Floyd what they paid him, but they're keeping Mm -hmm. him on the field all three downs. I mean, he's defending the run as well as rushing the passer. So when you have a guy like that who can hold it down on the other side, then you can kind of get creative with a rotation opposite him. So I think that's another reason why Leonard Floyd held so much value for them in free agency. He was their number one priority. But but Jordan, um, another guy with an awesome name and his counterpart, Jordan Fuller and Terrell Burgess. Obviously, we, we didn't see a ton of Terrell Burgess. Really excited about him when, when he was coming out into the draft. Um, and then we we all know the, the Jordan Fuller story. You and I have talked about that at length. Mm-hmm. These two safeties, I feel like they are a starting safety tandem for the Rams at some point. Do you think I'm I'm like off on that? Do you, do you also see that? Yeah, absolutely. And the great thing about both of them is that they can satisfy a lot of mm-hmm. roles. And that Utah secondary was absolutely phenomenal um, in, in 2019. You know, it wasn't just Burgess, Julian Blackman. You saw the success that he had with the Colts. Mm-hmm. Jalen Johnson with the Bears also came in and stepped in and had a lot of success right away as a rookie, too. So I think Burgess could be in a similar light of there of where he can play strong safety. I think that's probably where you want him at the most uh, with Jordan Fuller 
predominantly playing free safety for the most part. I'm not sure the splits or, you know, the, the numbers of how that played out last year with Fuller as far as the position that he played at. But I think he probably won a more on the roof of the defense. I think that's the best role for him just because he seems to be a little bit better when he could play atop the roof uh, and really roam from sideline to sideline, which is one of his best assets when he was at Ohio State. But with Burgess, he can kind of be that underneath guy of where uh, you want him utilized in the intermediate mm-hmm. areas, the short areas. You can blitz him off of the edge. He can guard and carry with tight ends and slot receivers up the seam. He's really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. But also he can play that strong safety role really good against the run, too. So you're right to be really excited about him. Um, of course, we didn't really see him pretty much at all last year. Uh, with everything that happened with him. But Mm -hmm. I think that safety tandem could give them a really nice duo going forward. Yeah, I think that's something Rams fans could look forward to. And one more guy I want to ask you about before we get into this draft class, because there's so many people who are curious about him. He kind of got stashed. He was like a a bonus pick for them last year in the fourth round, and he will be coming in and expected to, to take on a larger role. Bryson Hopkins and, and Gerald Everett obviously left in free agency. I'm not convinced that the Rams see tight end as a need in this draft because I think that they still are really excited about what Bryson Hopkins can do in the passing game for them. And they obviously have Tyler Higby who can block and pass and then and, and get into uh, the passing game. And then they brought back Johnny Munt on a one-year veteran minimum. And I think he'll turn into sort of their lead block, even into a fullback role when they when they use those those types of packages. But Bryson Hopkins interests me because Les Snead has dropped hints about having a contested catch receiver and the importance of that. And I'm not I'm not totally trying to read into smoke screens or whatever, but I don't know necessarily that he's talking about a guy in the draft. More so, maybe they have that guy already, but we just don't we just don't know because we haven't seen a lot of him. So when you were when you were looking at Bryson Hopkins and also understanding he hasn't been playing football for that long, um, what did you see from him? Do you, did you like what what facets of his game do you think um, are so would be most important to get developed here in this second season? Well, he, he was a significant mismatch in the passing game mm-hmm. when he was coming out of Purdue. They used him in line, they split him out wide, and even played sometimes in the slot too. So we know with McVay, with how much he likes to move around those tight ends and then mix and match the personnel sets that he likes to use, whether it's uh, 11 personnel or even 12 personnel from time to time, and even 10 incorporating the tight end in the slot. So with Bryson Hopkins, has that slender build, but very strong uh, as far as going up and attacking the ball, really strong hands as well set multiple records when he was at Purdue from a tight end standpoint, one of the best to ever come through there. So with him, I think you have to get really creative with him just because he's not a great separator as far as from man coverage, uh, but he is a bit twitchy in his routes. And I think going to a situation like with the Rams, McVay is going to do a really good job of putting him in some advantageous situations of where he's not going to be overly reliant with creating as far as a route runner of where he can scheme him open, just like we saw in years past. Uh, with a guy like a Gerald Everett, uh, who, who was really good in that role. So now um, Bryson Hopkins is going to be asked to to take over all of those snaps. Mm-hmm. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's look ahead to this year's draft. And we just, in our in our previous episode, we had uh, Rams general manager Les Snead on, a fantastic interview gave us some insight into a lot of their draft uh, yeah and we couldn't get him off the damn phone <laughs> he was Les <laughs> <laughs> wanted to hang with us for a while I kept, it was, I kept it was saying a... what everyone didn't hear and our editor did such a great job our producer <laughs> did such a great job what everyone didn't hear is is Les just kept making small talk I'd, I'd go yeah. all right well thanks a ton for your time today Les yeah. and he'd he'd ask risk rich a question and like it yeah. was great yeah. Yeah. Well, you, we probably, we, you probably got to go less, uh, but uh, no, no, it, it was fantastic. So if anybody hasn't listened to that already, please go look on our, on our archives. But uh, uh, Jordan, per, uh, per annual custom, the Rams, of course, do not have a first round draft pick. Uh, they are uh, right now slated to pick uh, number 57 with their initial pick in the second round. They also go in the third round, number 88 overall and number 103 overall. And we're going to go through some positions here, but I wanted to get your thoughts just about uh, the offensive line. Now, you, you'd mentioned, obviously, with Austin Blythe not coming back, there, there's an immediate hole there. Uh, with, uh, But they could still potentially slide over somebody like Austin Corbett to play center, but I, I still think they look to add to somebody there. And then there's the persistent, an, another annual question of when when do you draft or do you draft Andrew Whitworth's eventual replacement at left tackle? So, uh, Jordan, if you, if you could maybe take us through these these first three picks that the Rams have, and and by that I mean late in the second round, uh, kind of uh, late in the uh, late in the third round, and then a, a compensatory pick in the third round. Do, do any of those picks in general strike you as a good landing spot if, if you're looking at? 
drafting a center who could potentially step in on day one, or if you're looking to draft a left tackle who might be a year away, but you but you really want to grab that guy right now. Um, any of those three uh, picks in the first three rounds really grab you at, at uh, any, either of those positions? Yeah, I think so. And I believe they have a second and two thirds, if I'm not mistaken, that's what you just said. So mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of areas of need. Um, a center, of course, is probably the most urgent one, I would think, with Austin Blythe now moving on to Kansas City. You could argue that secondary could be an area that they look to address. Mm-hmm. Edge rusher is another area of concern as far as some depth behind some of the players that they do have uh, on the roster. So um, when you're talking about the second round centers, Quinn Miners from Wisconsin Whitewater is one name that definitely does make a lot of sense. Everybody knows about his story of what happened, of how he really rose from the D3 ranks to really start him at the senior bowl of where uh, his, his stock really was on the rise with, with that. And, you know, with those small school players, something that you always worry about is how they adjust to the speed of the game. But at the senior bowl, he, he fit right in. And if you were to put an Alabama helmet on him, a Notre Dame helmet or a Michigan helmet or anything, some of those big time schools, you wouldn't even notice that he was coming from a division three school. So he fit right in you know, with the surroundings. And I thought he dominated the competition. Uh, some other players that definitely do make a lot of sense from a center standpoint, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Uh, I think he'll probably be gone by 57 just because of the way that he tested uh, and how well he did at his pro day and then the pedigree uh, that that he's come from with his time at Oklahoma. Kendrick Green from Illinois is another name that makes a lot of sense that I think can transition inside to center, even though he's played predominantly guard during his time uh, at Illinois, but he's a player that makes a lot of sense as far as a zone scheme standpoint that I think could step in and start right away. And of course, we already talked about Drew Dahlman as well. I think he's a player that they could probably get somewhere in the third round with that compensatory pick. I think he would be a good fit for them there. Well, there you go, Jordan. I mean, he he hit it. He hit it right there. You had I Drew know, Dahlman. I was like, with I the... should be taking notes right now so I can. <laughs> <laughs> My last mock draft won't be terrible. Um, I, and I I do wonder about the tackle situation, Jordan, because um, at some point, I mean, we all hope, just as football fans, that Andrew Whitworth could play till he's fifty years old. But at some point, they need to figure out that tackle situation. And and I'm not really sure. Because there's a new line coach coming in, philosophically, I'm not sure what he will sort of push for. Do you do you initially take a guy who can sort of be a swing tackle for you and develop into um, a, a left tackle role by the time you need him a year or two years down the road? Could you find that guy? I mean, especially if they're trying to go best player available at least once or twice um, and, and then address the need at center, which I, I agree they absolutely do have to do. Would it even be possible to find a left tackle or maybe a swing tackle in the fourth or fifth rounds who could ultimately start for you at some point? Because like, I know this tackle class is really deep and I know there are some guys that are projects, but but I've also sort of been reading and through your work and, and our guy Dane Brugler's work over here at The Athletic, like some of these guys don't always have like bad habits built in, if that makes sense sense like like mm-hmm. some of them are like good projects i would think yeah and you know there's plenty of names that i could reel off but just talking about some of the scheme fits that i think would be really good for them mm-hmm. in those areas there's three guys that i think that they probably could get in the third or the fourth round that i think would be outstanding scheme fits and the first one is walker little 
from Stanford. Um, he's a player that we haven't seen in two years just because he had the torn ACL and then he opted out last year. was a big-time recruit coming out of California. He has kind of that five-star sticker that I like to say that a lot of people are really intrigued by with them was really hoping that we've seen him at the senior bowl but he ended up not participating mm -hmm. in it so we have not seen him at all in two years but you talk about a really good athlete the player that still has a lot of intrigue with him uh, needs to gain some strength I think that's the biggest area of concern with him but I think if you stash him for maybe a year or two like behind the Andrew Whitworth of where um, you kind of redshirt him in a sense I think he could be ready in a couple of years. So Walker Little from Stanford is one that makes a lot of sense. Um, a sleeper name that a lot of people aren't really talking about. His name is Dan Moore from Texas A&M. Um, I think he's a really good player uh, as far as a developmental player. Um, you, you really have to get some strength on him. Um, his lower half isn't really strong right now. He has some developing to do, but was a multi-year starter there at left tackle for them. Has some really nice flashes at time to time, but he has some consistency areas of where he needs to clean up in a sense. So once again, if you put him on that same plan, like I said, as a Walker Little of where you redshirt him for a year or two while Andrew Whitworth decides on whenever he wants to hang his cleats up. Hopefully, like you said, he can play until he's 50 years <laughs> old, but if he decides to hang the cleats up in a year or two, I think Dan Moore could definitely be a guy that's ready to take over and then the last name that I think that you could get maybe in the fourth or the fifth round is James Hudson uh, from Cincinnati he originally started his career at Michigan as a defensive lineman but ended up transferring over to the other side of the football and playing offensive tackle he's only played offensive tackle for one year but he was really good in that one year that he played in the last time that we saw him was against Georgia in the Peach Bowl he ended up getting ejected in the first quarter of that game but he played really well up until that point, his best matchup of the year, he was going against Aziz Ojolari, a player that's probably going to end up going in the first round. He was handling him really well in that game. So he's that project once again, like a damn war and also a walk a little that maybe you can stash for a year or two and hope to get something out of them. You know, two major thoughts come to mind hearing some of those names. And the first one is, oh, my God, could they really draft like an all Stanford offensive line draft? <laughs> Which I think in years past, like, hell, why not? Right? Right, <laughs> um, right. And then the other thing is if they draft more in a later round, if Les Snead drafts more in a later round, then I'm going to say less is more. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> and Rich, Rich keeps a tally of all my terrible puns, so yeah. you could write that one down. The Rich. great puns, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that another big question people have, um, because again, so in a lot of ways, you have to draft a couple years into the future, a year or two into the future, and and in this in that regard, the Rams really do need to beef up their their cornerbacks room, and. You know, Darius Williams is, is going to be due to sign his tender this week. And so they'll have him in for at least a year. Your, your options are you can agree to an extension with him. My guess would be that he'll try to test and see what the market's going to be because knowing that the Rams probably aren't going to pay both of their corners top-tier corner money. If Darius Williams keeps playing the way that he's playing, he will earn top-tier corner money um, in 2022. So I think that you probably need to start figuring out your life at corner at that point. Um, and, and they love to move these guys around. They should still be letting Jalen Ramsey pretty much roam the field freely and, and move inside and outside and, and base a lot of that secondary around what he does. Um, and then obviously, so you need to have that 
really solid guy opposite him. And then you probably need to have another guy who can be versatile, play in the slot maybe if he needs to, but then also man the outside opposite Darius Williams when Jalen Ramsey does move into the star position. So I'm looking at a lot of these guys, and I think it's a really exciting cornerback class. And I don't want to put a round on it because I think really when you're looking at the Rams, they could go corner at 57 and think that it's best player available, or they could wait until the the fifth round and find a gem, right? So I'm just curious to hear your thoughts about some of the guys that are exciting to you in this class, Jordan, and guys who you think might be good fits for what the Rams do. Yeah, so you know during my prep of the show, I wanted to – have some names prepared for you guys because that's how I am as far Mm -hmm. as scheme fits and things of that nature. And I outlined four guys that I think would be really good fits. And the first one is Efiatu Melifanwu from Syracuse. Nice. Uh, He's a player that I think really fits in as far as the, 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 the characteristics that they have looked for in years past, talking about length uh, players that have ball production, and then they're not scared to come up and tackle. And then they also have positional, uh, or I should say coverage versatility as well. He can play off man coverage. He can turn his back to the sideline and play cover three as well. I think he's just scratching the surface of what he can be, but if you want him, you're probably going to have to take him at 57 just because of how well uh, he tested at his pro day. Um, so Mel, keep an eye on Melifonwu. I think he's a player that's going to have a lot of significant interest, not only from the Rams, but around the league as well. The next one is Benjamin St. Just from Minnesota, another player that is very lengthy, about six foot two, uh, just a shade over 200 pounds. But um, a player that didn't have a whole bunch of production when he was at Minnesota, but you can see that his best ball is ahead of him. Uh, his technique is really advanced, and he has really good hips for a player of his size. Doesn't have any issues turning and running, exiting phase, and things of that nature. A lot of things that the Rams require their cornerbacks to do. Um, Israel Mukawamu from South Carolina is another name that I think they may prioritize. Maybe it's not even as a corner, but also as a safety. He actually was a safety when he first got to South Carolina. He's about six foot four. Um, and just over 205 pounds, so a bit of a bigger corner. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he said some teams have actually asked him how comfortable he is at playing safety. So maybe you have a crossover player of where you can cross-train at both cornerback and then also safety as well. Mm-hmm. And then the last name that I'll talk about is Keith Taylor from Washington. Um, he's a really interesting story as well. Didn't have any interceptions during his career, so his last interception was a senior year of high school. So he went four years of college without recording a single interception, but he had his hands on a lot of footballs, and he just dropped a lot of them. Uh, ran Went out to his pro day and actually ran 4-4-2, which was huge for him just because the biggest question mark with him was how well he could turn and run, mm-hmm. which is something he didn't do a whole lot of on film very successfully. So him going out and running a 4-4-2 was big for him, and you know if they want to take that guy like him in the fourth or fifth round, I think he could be there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it might sound funny to ask you about receivers because we just spent a lot of time talking about Van Jefferson, who was just a second round pick uh, a year ago. But uh, from from our perspective, Jordan, it, it seems like the Rams might be looking here just because they, they bring in Matthew Stafford. Uh, they, they might want to pivot back to uh, having somebody who can be a little bit of more of that deep threat, maybe even a gadget type player. They did sign Desha- Deshaun Jackson, which uh, could fill some of that uh, role, but uh, 
we don't know what's going to happen there. He has a long history of, of injuries and he's 34 years old. So uh, do you see somebody there? And I, again, I don't want to pin you to a specific round because I know this can go, go all over the place, but maybe somebody who could fit into one of those middle rounds who, who could be that kind of deep threat, maybe even a gadget player, maybe even a return specialist who could fill that role or at least com- compete with a guy like Simba Webster. How is, how is this class when it comes to that kind of skill set? Yeah, and if you're just talking about day two, day three guys, I think there's a whole bunch that can satisfy that role. Mm-hmm. And there's really three guys that I think outline that. Uh, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan is one player that I think would be a really good fit as far as somebody satisfying that role. Once again, a player that's going to be an older player, going to be a 24-year-old rookie, similar to Van Jefferson entering his rookie season. But he, he actually went back and forth between cornerback and wide receiver during his career. Very interesting career arc. Uh, actually played cornerback two years ago, then transitioned back to wide receiver last year and was outstanding. Averaged over 20 yards per catch. Mainly caught a lot of RPOs at Western Michigan, but he's a really good route runner. And I think that system kind of hid a lot of his positives and exactly what he can do. Outstanding as a kick returner, then also punt returner as well. So he's checking not only boxes as a receiver, but also as a return specialist as well, which is something I think the Rams could look to dip their toes in that that water as far as a trying to get an upgrade at a return specialist. And then the other two guys are Amir Smith-Marset from Iowa, a player that really battled um, some some lower tier quarterback play. And what you notice on his film is that he's running wide open on multiple occasions down the field, but they just deny the talent to get him the ball consistently down the field. So if you're looking for somebody that can take the top off defense and really stress the third level of certain defensive structures, I think Smith Marset can be that type of player. And also another player that is a standout return specialist as well. And then the last one is Anthony Schwartz, who's a wide receiver from Auburn, uh, a certified 4-2 guy. He ran 4-2-5 at his pro day, I believe it was. So he has that that speed to burn for days down down the field. And we know even though they they signed Deshaun Jackson, he hasn't played a full season in a very long time. So if they're looking for insurance behind him, somebody that can satisfy that down the field role is bringing uh, as far as bringing some down the field dynamics. I think Schwartz can satisfy that role. You know who also went to Auburn? Les Snead. Oh man, <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Patterns, man. I got there my. Go. I've got all my my uh, my board with all the the threads connecting all of the different schools up behind me. It's like all the patterns, man. They're coming out. <laughs> Although I think the last guy that Les Snead drafted out of Auburn was Greg Robinson, so I'm I'm not sure he's he's oh, wow. gotten Ooh, over. <laughs> he might never. There might be like a he's ten scarred. year. Yeah, I, I don't know whether he'll go that way again, but you got to take a chance at some point, I guess. I, I guess. Oh, my gosh. I'd, I'd be scarred for life. Jordan, I, I want to get your thoughts on edge rusher, too, because I know we touched on this earlier because of the idea of Terrell Lewis on a pitch count. And there's there's some guys who I think behind him, Obo Okoronwo, Justin Hollins, a couple guys who have flashed potential, but with Oboe has not been able to stay healthy um, quite a, you know, for a couple of years. And, and then Justin Holland still kind of figuring out, he was sort of a tweener for them last year. So still trying to figure out what his role really is. And if I were running a team, this is what I would think is that it's an okay year 
for you as this team to have a maybe less than stellar edge rusher class because you're not looking for a guy to come in and play full time every down across from Leonard Floyd. You're looking for a guy who can fit into your rotation, right? So who are a couple of those guys? And and this is me thinking they're they might not go edge in their with their second or third round picks, maybe fourth, fifth, or, or I guess they don't have a which one don't they have? They don't have a fourth this year, right? So fifth, sixth, you know, these later round guys who could develop, who could be situational guys, um, but but show some promise in that regard. Um, Ellison Smith out of Northern Iowa is one that I think you could probably get somewhere early day three, whether it's the fourth or the fifth round. Was outstanding at his pro day. He's about six foot six. Uh, 255 pounds. I think that's what he hovered around at his pro day. So he is a little bit on the lighter side, but we know that really hasn't scared the Rams off from taking some of these edge rushers. Mm -hmm. uh, ran four seven at his pro day and then jumped 41 and a half in the vertical. So you know he has that explosiveness to bring to the table. Was very successful during his career at Northern Iowa, even though they weren't able to have a season a year ago. So you're basing a lot of his tape off of 2019. But man, he has some really impressive qualities and some he has a really nice foundation to develop off of. And if you're looking, once again, for maybe some late day two, early day three guys, Hamilcar Rashad Jr. from Oregon State. I mm -hmm. think he's another player that really fits the mold as far as what they're looking for. Very explosive. Not, I would say not above average in coverage. I think that's the area of where he needs to improve upon the most if the Rams are looking to drop their defensive ends a little bit more in coverage this next year. But as far as coming off of the edge, having the, the bendiness, uh, associated with it. I think he's really good with cornering and getting to the quarterback. Um, a, a funny, not joke, uh, but a funny tale that I love to tell about R Rashad Jr. is that he actually had a game of where he recorded 10 sacks in high school, which is crazy what? to think about. Oh wow. my God. Yeah. That poor quarterback. Yeah, he's like this guy again. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> right. So just imagine that going to a high school game and seeing one guy get 10 sacks. So oh I always gosh. like sharing that about him. So yeah, he's another player. And then Peyton Turner from Houston is another one that I think could, could take a liking as far as some of the thresholds that they have looked and seen in previous years. He actually came into Houston as a defensive tackle, lost some weight. They trans transitioned him to more of a five-technique role of where he looked a little bit more comfortable. But he plays really, really hard. And outside of him and Joseph Asai, I think those are probably the two players at the position that played the hardest. And then also Asai could be a fit for them if they're looking for somebody in the second round. Mm-hmm. Jordan, the, the last position I wanted to ask you about was inside linebacker. And, and I go back to, to last year, and I remember during day two, um, I, I texted somebody with the Rams and said, hey, you know, what do you think about inside linebacker? I, I'd kind of gone into the draft thinking that was a position um, that they might look at fairly high, and, and they really didn't. They, they didn't end up uh, picking an inside linebacker uh, until the seventh round. Um, and uh, Clay Johnston and then ended up cutting him. So at, at the time, they, they had said that they really didn't see anybody who was an upgrade over what they had over guys like Micah Kaiser, Kenny Young, Troy Reader, uh, Traven Howard, who unfortunately ended up being out for the season with an injury. Uh, and now I look at it again very much the same way, Jordan, because it's this pretty much the same group of guys. They're they're. They're NFL caliber players, but none of them has really established himself uh, as a as a 
pure starter at one of those positions. So how does this group of, of inside linebackers look? I, maybe if you could even compare it to, to last year at all, is, is this a stronger group? Is this somewhere where the Rams actually might be able to upgrade in, in 2021? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the thing about this interior uh, linebacker class is that there's really not a lot of Mike linebackers, I think, outside of Michael Parsons, mm-hmm. um, Jameen Davis, uh, Jamin Davis, excuse me, from Kentucky. There really isn't that certified Mike linebacker that you're looking for at the position. I think Zayvon Collins is probably more of a Sam or a Will linebacker. So you don't really have that man in the middle in a sense like we have seen in years past. But if they're looking for a linebacker, maybe on day two, or day three, Jabril Cox from LSU. I think he's one player that satisfies a lot of things that they have seeked in years past. Uh, I think he can play Mike, but he's probably going to be a little bit better on the strong side. Really nice story. Came over from North Dakota State of where he, he won every single accolade as far as FCS Defensive Player of the Year. And the, the speed of the game didn't really affect him at all. Uh, moving over from the FCS level all the way up to the SEC level of competition showed that he f- could fit in right away, not only uh, during the level of competition, but also at the senior bowl as well. I thought he performed really well. We haven't seen him. He's going to have a second pro day here coming up in the next week uh, just because he suffered a hamstring injury that he was trying to rehab from. So we're going to get some testing numbers on him eventually. So Jabril Cox definitely is one. Chaz Surratt from North Carolina mm-hmm. is another one that I think uh, that they could have on their board fairly highly as well. I like that guy. I love his story too. The the being a former quarterback and um, you just hear such good things about him. To me, that's like, I, you know, uh, to me it seems like someone Raheem Morris would absolutely pound the table for if they still had Brandon Staley on their uh, on their staff. Someone he would absolutely pound the table for. Someone who Sean McVay would probably like love to get into a room and just talk football with this <laughs> is he just very much seem and like I, I love how physically he tackles as well I think that um yeah if you know I, I I would be surprised I guess uh you know I the Rams just change it up every like they nobody ever knows really what they're gonna do right but I guess I wouldn't be surprised if you saw um Chaz Surratt match with them like even though they scheme around their inside linebackers and are more safety dependent, I think. And, um, you know, really were high on the way that they played all those guys that are currently rostered last year and sort of developed them. Um, still, I think if you come to a guy like Chess Surratt and he's on your, he's on your board and you have him ranked high and then you come to him, you know, what in this probably what he second or, or maybe even higher third round if they trade back, that's so hard in my mind to to pass up mm-hmm. on. Like, wouldn't you think that would be just one where they would be just agonized over that? Yeah, he seems like the player that they definitely would like as well. Like you mentioned, the former quarterback. And you really see that on his film a lot. He's really good at diagnosing and attacking, especially when they ask him to be a blitzer. Very physical at the point of attack. Does need to clean up as far as his eye discipline and trusting his read keys a little bit more. It can be a little bit off track with some things, but that just comes with reps. And like I said, this was only his second full year playing mm-hmm. linebacker after he transitioned from quarterback. So once again, another player that you're talking about that has some upside associated with the position, you know, he's going to come in and contribute on every single special teams as well, considering mm-hmm. the physicality factor that he brings to the table an outstanding leader as well, playing Mike at, at North Carolina as well. Man, Jordan, I I literally wish I could show you my note. I have like 
five pages of notes right now. I've been furiously <laughs> scribbling while you've been talking. You have been so generous with your time for us and we really, really appreciate it and would love to hear. I know that you just put out this major big board. Everyone needs to go check it out. It's it's the last one before the draft. We're so close. Go check out all of Jordan's great work over at the Draft Network and, and his podcast, Read Option. Um, but Jordan, what do you do between now and the draft? <laughs> like, what are you... <laughs> <laughs> you're in that mode where you're like, just get here already. But like, what do you what do you do at this point? You've done all the work that you could possibly do. So what do you do now? Yeah, it's kind of like a kid waiting up on Christmas Day. It seems <laughs> like it takes a month for it to get here. But we're actually having a live show in Atlanta. So we're really excited about that. And, you know, just spending time with the family, trying to stay off social media as much as I can, just mm-hmm. because you're going to see some crazy rumors pop up here <laughs> in the next uh, nine, eight or nine days leading up to the draft. So I just try to stay away from all of that stuff. And, you know, if I see something that I that I need to report or get out there, I just um, hit send. And then I just put my phone right back down after that because <laughs> I don't want any false rumors or anything like that getting to me. So the lead up to the draft is always my favorite part. But once you get like under a week, you're just itching for it to get here. Yeah, I can only imagine. Would you give us a few more details about this live show? I think that sounds pretty exciting and like something Rams fans would really get into. Yeah, so we're actually live streaming our show um, on YouTube and a bunch of different platforms as well. Um, the Network.com, myself and all of my colleagues. There's some things I can't reveal right now, but we are having a live show. We're going to make an official announcement probably here in the coming days. We have mm-hmm. a lot of different things going on, a lot of different activities. Um, myself, um, Kyle Krabs, Joe Marino, Paige Demakos, Benjamin Solak, Trevor Sikama, uh, and everybody else over at the Draft Network. We have a lot of special things planned. We're going to be live for all three days. So if you want to get some really good intel um, about some some players the Rams select on the second and also third day of the draft, I know things are going to be really slow for you guys during the first day of the draft. You can just <laughs> kind of sit back and kick your feet up and watch everything transpire. But once we get into the second and third day, if you want to tune in with us um, and get a detailed and thorough analysis of every single player that the Rams select, you definitely are welcome to do that. Yeah, you know, I have two pages that are favorited in in my draft coverage. And one of them is your author page over at the Draft Network and where I get to see all your stuff. And then another is our Dane Brugler's work. And so you guys definitely go check that out. I mean, just all drafts, all evaluation, all the time. I know all of you guys have been using that mock draft tracker. Believe me, I see my mentions and I see all those screenshots of all the mock draft trackers. (laughs) Um, And, you know, make sure you're also keeping up with us over the athletic through the draft as Rich knows I love to talk about a discount and as always if you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel podcast you get a major major discount and we always love to plug that one don't forget to send us in your voicemails I'll make sure to to tweet out that number here Um, Jordan once again Rich and I just are so grateful for your time and your insight Um, just amazing stuff and, and thank you so much for being on with us Absolutely. Thank you, guys. And, you know, if you need me pre or even post draft, just let me know. We'd love to come back. Oh, we will take you up on that. (laughs) We are in. (laughs) Absolutely. That's uh, Jordan Reed. Again, thedraftnetwork.com. Make sure you follow along with him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed, J-O-R-D-A-N underscore R-E-I-D. I'm sure he'll be sharing more details about that YouTube stream that seems uh, like it's going to be really something great to watch on on draft night. Uh, 
uh, when Jeff starts. So thanks, Jordan. And thank you to Jordan Rodrigue, who you can find <laughs> on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue. She, of course, will be working tirelessly up uh, through the end of next week to bring you all sorts of draft coverage. So again, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic yet, please do that uh, soon and uh, so that you don't miss any of Jordan's outstanding work. The mock drafts have been coming fast and furious and uh, <laughs> I was uh, I know Jordan Rodrigue has to be beaming right now because so many of the, of the names that Jordan Reed said uh, were, were on her last mock, mock draft so that doesn't surprise me at all because we've got two great football minds here sharing uh, information so thank you everybody for all the uh, all the ratings all the nice comments on Apple Podcasts it's really gratifying to see all that and of course, we will be back with you after the draft to talk about the new 2021 class of Rams. So thank you, everybody. Stay tuned with Jordan on Twitter and on The Athletic, and we will talk to you again soon.